Hello there guys, it's your boy Brian here, and I would like to take a moment to talk about mental health before we snap into this episode of Nitrogen Podcast. As of release, last week was Mental Health Awareness Week, and it's never been more an opportune time to talk about the impact of mental illness. Of course, we're all adjusting to life during the COVID-19 pandemic. Some of us are in lockdown, or are key workers like myself, and with those comes a lot of stress, pressure and worries, not least to those with vulnerable loved ones or who have sadly lost relatives due to coronavirus. And the wrestling world has been turned upside down by the tragic passing of Stardom's Hannah Kamira at the age of 22, reportedly as a result of suicide, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And I say that as someone who wasn't aware of her beforehand. Times are tough right now, and with our future uncertain, a lot of us are struggling mentally, myself included. When Mark and I decided to start this podcast, we did not expect to be doing so during a pandemic. We just wanted to have fun. I can't speak for Mark, but I feel a sense of duty to do what I can to help our listeners through this time. With that in mind, if you are struggling, if we have made you laugh and forget or just need to reach out, hit us up on our social media and we'll be happy to talk. Without the listeners, this podcast is just two dudes talking about wrestling, and we appreciate anyone who has listened or recommended us to a friend. Stay safe guys, keep well, and I hope you enjoy episode 6 of Natural Gem Podcast. Once again, for a Natural Gen podcast, episode number six, it's That's Acton Kid, Brian Bradshaw and Marvellous Mark Ashworth. How's it going, Brian? Uh, not too bad. I'm a little bit sore, though. It seems to be a common trend right now. A few weeks ago, nearly mangled my thumb at work. Still in pain with that. Today, I've got an abscess. So, if there is a little bit of swearing, I apologise. I'm sure you'll be fine, my friend. We've got a lot to get through today, unfortunately. There's been a lot happening in the world of WCW. And I don't know how much of research you've done on this, but... It's going to get really confusing. So, I'm going to jump straight into this, and I'm going to just fly through some results before we get on to Nitro from Jacksonville, Florida, for the second time, because this is a taped show. This isn't a live show. The reason why it's taped is because the WCW roster are currently over in Tokyo doing a show with New Japan Pro Wrestling. World Championship Wrestling and New Japan came together at the Sumo Hall in Tokyo on November 13th, 1995 for a joint card which saw the likes of Lloyd Steven Regal versus Keiji Muto, who was the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Muto pinned Regal to retain his title. Kensuke Sasaki versus Sting for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship, where Sasaki pinned Sting to capture the belt. Junji Hirata, the core holder of the IWGP World Tag Team title, Faced off against Booker T, who is the co-holder of the WCW World Tag Team title, and Hirata won. But that was a non-title match, obviously. Arn Anderson and the Giant faced off against Tadayo Yasuda and Shinya Hashimoto, who is the co-holder of the IWGP World Tag Team title. Hashimoto and Yasuda won. Masachono and Hiro Saito faced off against Bobby Eaton and Johnny Vibad who is the WCW World Television Champion. Chono and Saito won. Takemitsu Ishizawa, Jushin Thunder Liger, and Yuji Nagata faced off against El Samurai. Shinichiro Hotani 
and Koji Kinamoto, the IWGP World Junior Heavyweight Champion. Ishizawa, Liger and Nagata won that one. The Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags, faced off against Ricky Koshu and Masach Saito. Uh, Koshu and Saito won that. Ric Flair faced off against Samu Nishimura, uh, with Ric Flair winning that one. And Kurosawa faced off against Hiroyoshi Tenzan, the latter of which won by pinfall. So the reason why I've been through those results is because there is a major title change in uh, Kensuke Sasaki beating Sting for the WCW United States Heavyweight Championship. And when we do get to Kensuke Sasaki later on in this brief recap of Nitro, I'll explain further. We start up this Nitro with the commentary desk directing us towards a video package of Hulk Hogan dressed in all black in a cloak and in a what we're just basically going to refer to now as the Phantom of the Opera Mask. He speaks about the Macho Man being his brother of the road, so they're best buddies again. And he also speaks about not knowing which side Sting is on. So I thought this was like an episode of Nightmare. <laughs> yeah. That might be a little bit of a niche reference. I don't know if the our American listeners, our international listeners, should we say, have ever heard of that. Just look up Nightmare with a K uh, at the beginning, by the way. It was a game show that ran until around about 1995, I think, over here. Children's game show. And it was basically mm. like them home video games that you usually have where you have directions and all that. But it's like an actual reality one. It's re- really, really interesting. And this, it was exactly like that. I expected Goystang just to appear out of nowhere and just say, like, Hulk Hogan, this is your next challenge. And Yeah, yeah I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of this mask. And it's just so fucking bizarre. Everything about this is so bizarre. He's going in with a fucking sword as well. I'm like, what are you going to fucking do? Kill Sting? Because mm. it sounds like it. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on from that. Um, we go into a match, which is um, Meng versus the Macho Man. Now, I'm going to note as well that they're now going to start referring to Meng as the terrorist. I miss that. You mi- No, no, it's because it's not happened just yet. Oh, thank God. <laughs> it actually happens on the Saturday night after this Nitro, I believe. I was going to say, like, I'm glad that it actually didn't happen then, because if I miss that, then that says a lot about me. That, at this point, I'm just, like, fucking <laughs> glossing over everything the Dungeon of Doom are doing, and glossing over a term like that, I'd feel fucked up about it, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's not the best gimmick to give somebody, is it? The terrorist Meng. No, and, and to be fair, it just seems to be a common trend with the Dungeon of Doom, doesn't it? Uh, I know about the final solution. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 yeah I, I, luckily, we haven't seen him. I don't know if that was before, before all this or after, but yeah, thank God that we've missed him. So commentary puts over the fact that Meng's like got a real taste for violence at the moment and Macho is billed from the dark side of Venice Beach, California. I'm really hoping that Macho Man has a fucking force powers now. Force powers? <laughs> yeah, he's from the dark side of fucking Venice Beach. Like <laughs> This whole dark side of shit is so weird. Yeah. He's dressed in black and white, which is becoming the norm as well. Uh, and he jumps Meng from the back, which in turn clatters Taskmaster out of the ring, who's accompanied Meng to the ring, obviously. Uh, there's a brawl for the most part with Taskmaster trying to get to the top rope but he's cut off by Macho who then tries an axe handle but this allows Meng to get the advantage and turn the tide as Jimmy Hart gets out to back up the Taskmaster who's down on the floor. Macho's still with a big lump on his elbow but it's not wrapped up. Meng attempts to go high risk but Macho moves to a huge ovation from the crowd and makes sure Jimmy Hart doesn't have a chance to intervene as he goes to the top rope for an elbow 
After the three count, Shark is straight out on the attack with Lex slowly coming down behind him to concentrate on Savage's arm as we go to a break, which will go forward as re-injuring the Macho Man Randy Savage's arm. It looks nasty, that. I, yeah, I, very gnarly looking. Hard as nails to be, to be, you know, taking bumps and elbows and everything like that with a, with a big fucking golf ball on the on end of his elbow. Yeah, no shit. Um, I will, I've got to talk about Wigger's get-up here. He's wearing yep. a pinstriped tank and pinstripe pants. It's kind of like a suit, but not a suit, if that makes sense. And maybe this is my hatred for Luger here, but everything about him here is infinitely better. He's infinitely more believable as a heel. I mean, th- that suit shouldn't work on anybody, but it seems to work on him. And his antics, I, I-, I just enjoy him a little bit more. Not a lot, but a little bit. Yeah, the less is more element again. He's not on it that much, so you can actually yes. tolerate him when he's coming out and doing these sorts of things because he's not actually wrestling for 25 minutes and taking 10 minutes of promo time. Yeah, it, it is a lot better in that aspect, yeah. I think so too, yeah. Kensuke Sasaki will face off against Chris Benoit in the next bout. Bischoff alludes to Heenan's deal with the Japanese whilst talking about Sasaki. They're then going to plug in World War Three on pay-per-view. It's also mentioned by Bischoff that Sasaki would take on Sting for the United States title later that week. However, as I explained at the beginning of this episode of the Nitrogen podcast, Sasaki beat Sting on this night, November 13th, as this was being broadcast for the United States title in Japan. Um, I have to say one thing. When he came out, I didn't actually look at the title card or listen to Dave Pesner clearly. Mind you, usually when Dave Pence is talking, so the commentators, so they, they do lower his voice, which I really don't like. That's a bit of a production problem that I haven't brought up before. But yeah, I really don't like that. I'd like to hear the announcer. But I didn't see the title card properly, and I thought it said Kenzo Suzuki. And fuck me, the, you could hear the groan at the bottom of my street, because 2005 Smackdown, it cuts so deep. Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of Kenzo Suzuki, uh, Mark. Very, very vaguely. I don't know much, though. Yeah, uh, just don't even bother searching. Just take my word for it. (laughs) Save yourself. Save (laughs) yourself. So that's like the big show show, then? Yes, very much so. (laughs) I haven't noted much about this, other than the the title change, which is a bit confusing. I've not noted many moves down, simply because it wasn't really the, the kind of match that we've got used to with Eddie Guerrero and Benoit and Malenko kind of getting into these past few weeks. It was a very short match. Yeah. We're going to be seeing quite a bit of Zazaki by the looks of it, given he's the United States champion now. Benoit wins this one with a bridging full Nelson suplex. And it's a pretty even hard striking match. And that's all I've really got to say about that, to be honest. Yeah, there wasn't really much to it at all. Eric Bischoff takes the opportunity at the end of the match to say, you know, oh, by the way, guys, uh, Chris Benoit is now a member of the Four Horsemen. Like that, something that big really should be pushed, I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right there, Brian. Uh, Chris Benoit was unveiled as one of the horsemen on Saturday night on the 11th of the 11th, two days prior to this natural broadcast, in a promo with Brian Pillman, which is a really, really good promo, actually. And uh, if you get a chance, have a look at that, because it's somewhere on YouTube. The, the promo is just Brian Pillman kind of tearing apart Sting, and then Owen Anderson comes into the fold and he tears Sting apart a little bit more and then they lead into bringing Chris Benoit in who then proceeds to tear apart Sting. Uh, so it seems that they're all going against Sting now. Really good promo. It's worth a look if you get a chance. And a pretty big deal. Uh, I already knew 
prior to this that Benoit was a member of the Four Horsemen at some point. But, oh my God, at this point, there's no better member for me. There's no better person uh, outside of Brian Pillman to be a member of the Four Horsemen. Uh, Benoit brings something a little bit different to that group. It's not anything that they've seen before. He does have the bruiser-like style that Arn Anderson has. Uh, but he's, he, he mixes it up with mat submissions and he can do the high-flying. It's you know, To be honest with you, now that I think about it, it's kind of like a combination of uh, Pillman and Arn Anderson all in one with his own little... Uh, his own niche style on top of it, I should say. Yeah, they've got all bases covered, really, haven't they? Yeah. It's also worth noting that Woman has also joined the Four Horsemen as a manager. And on the night of the 11th, when Benoit joined the Horsemen, uh, he actually faced off with Eddie Guerrero on the Saturday night, which got, again, take it however you want to take it when it comes to Dave Meltzer, but it got four and a half stars on Saturday night, Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Benoit. Yeah, I think we can take his word for it, considering how how many great matches we've seen between the two so far it's yeah it's almost guaranteed to be a barn burner it's also worth having the occasional look at Saturday night as well when it comes to a production standpoint because it's so different from what we're watching on Nitro now even as I, as I was talking about earlier on um, Brian Pilmer's promo they, they do the promo in such a way that it's just so different to the way that they do it on Nitro and I can't really see why they do it differently but they do I think it just goes back to what Eric Bischoff has said about things like the brand split. Like, if you want if you want the shows to feel different, you have to have different production values, and maybe that's what he was going for with Saturday Night, is making it its own unique show. Yeah, and it certainly feels unique if you get a chance to watch any of them. Yeah, I mean, in, in that sense, it kind of makes me want to tune in. Like, you know, it's going to be a little bit different to Nitro, but it's going to be WCW all the same. I'd be very much interested to tune in and and, and just get, like, a, a palate cleanser from the normal ding-dong that we get on Monday Nitro. Ding-dong, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up's going to be Johnny B. Bad, who's the television champion versus Eddie Guerrero. He's getting his first title shot in WCW. Uh, still part of that 90-day contract that he's under, but obviously we know that he's going to get a full-time contract sooner rather than later. Brian, I believe that you are going to run in on this one. Yes, um, as usual, I have got a very, very wordy breakdown. I apologise if this takes like 20 minutes of our time. But such a good match, really, really good match. And I go into this, admittedly, not really being much of a Johnny B. Bad fan. That being said... I only really know Johnny B. Bad from his days in WWE as Marvelous Mark Merrow. Copyright infringement! Yes, very much so. Uh, yeah, he, he, time travelling Mark Merrow, you absolute fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a completely different character, obviously, in WWE. He was more like a boxer. A really weird character, to be honest with you. He always come out in jorts and things like that. He's a boxer, but he can do high-flying moves. There's very much a disconnect there. And to be fair, his WWF career, it was all about Sable. He was second fiddle to her. So we can't really, we don't really have much to go on. So anyway, um, but that being said, I kind of expected this match to be really, really good because we've seen little snippets of what Johnny B. Back can do. And obviously, we've seen a lot of what Eddie Guerrero can do. Uh, 
and this match was an absolute barn burner so go out your way and check this out it's not a standard start uh, we have trade inside deadlock takedowns and the stir off to start nothing really what you'd expect from these two sides you expect them to just go straight into the classic arm lock takedown flip de do stir off yada yada they do get into a little bit of that but it, it, it's just just nothing to it there's nothing to write home about Johnny B. Bad gets a really quick pace with beautiful leapfrogs into a tilt wall black breaker for a pin attempt. Another tilt wall results in a beautiful head scissor reversal by Eddie. Absolutely incredible. Eddie does what I've written down as an arm lock springboard head scissor. It's pretty much like the old school move that Undertaker does. He'll, uh, he climbs onto the top rope holding his arm and just goes straight into the springboard head scissor from there. It was a bit, bit sloppy in the lead up but when he actually executes it absolutely beautiful bad gets back in control with uh, a leaping sunset flip off the top rope but eddie rolls through and we see a trade-off of rolling pin attempts and it's absolutely sensational stuff that how they pull that off i do not know it really looked like uh, bad could have got seriously injured from that but it, it's just absolutely seamless so good electric chair attempts in the ring by bad but eddie rolls through Bad back on top with elbows and Eddie is on the mat for a while. He actually looks like he's generally hurt here. I don't know if like Bad accidentally stiffed his ear, but he's down on the mat for quite a long while. I really expected Eddie Guerrero to be counted out, but he isn't nonetheless. He was on the mat for a good 15 seconds from my count. This actually ends up becoming in a bit of a brawl as tensions start rising. Um, the ref tries to get in between them, but Bad does look like a leaping stinger splash type manoeuvre and actually knocks the ref down. Ref gets straight back up though, so it's not really much uh, to, to write home about there. Tension's risen here as a stir off with a lock up. Eddie escapes with a back sweep heads as Pencer announces just two minutes left. Eddie attempts a, uh, a fucking tombstone power driver. I did not expect that at all, but Bad reverses it into one of his own for a two count. That that really caught me off guard of all the moves to expect Eddie Guerrero to do. A tombstone power driver. Absolutely incredible stuff. Didn't even expect Johnny Be Bad to do it, to be honest with you. Eddie does a tornado DDT with a minute to go for a two count. 30 seconds left as Dave Panzer announced as the two collide in the middle of the ring. They, they basically just Irish whip each other off the ropes and just collide into each other trying to do a crossbody. They brawl trying to get back onto the feet, but the bell sounds and the ref can barely keep them apart. Eddie just cools down a little bit and they shake hands in a very, very sportsmanship moment considering. Um, I really expected one of them to turn heel here, but there is enough intrigue at the end of that match to say that, you know, maybe Johnny B. Bad might end up turning heel at some point. That would be pretty interesting, but yeah, no contest, but a really, really sensational match. I won't say it's Eddie Guerrero's best match so far, it's clearly not, but for Johnny B. Bad, um, it, it's as good a match as I've seen from Mark Merrow anyway. And that's not to understate him at all. To understate this match, it was a very, very good match. Definitely my favourite Johnny B. Bad match as this is going on, uh, even including the pay-per-view yes. bouts that he's had as well. I've not put much more other than the huge sunset flip for the pin attempts and everything, the reverse pin attempts, that, that sunset flip from him because he's six foot one and he's pretty well built as well it looked really really superb it was a it was a fantastic match really really enjoyed it sadly on this day november 13th 10 years to the day would be the day that eddie guerrero passed away at the age of 38 oh, in minneapolis minnesota to an acute heart failure brought on by a cardiovascular disease oh. such a shame that you know 
on this Nitro we get to see such a fantastic match and then 10 years later at the age of 38 years old he's, he's um, having a heart attack uh, being held by Chavo Guerrero and passing away in his arms really really sad but it's it's good to watch matches like this and remember him so fondly for what he was capable of doing and how fucking good he was yeah and remember him in a different light as well because I only really know him from his WWE stuff I've seen a handful of WCW matches now before this I'd only seen I think two maybe three of his WCW matches and it's like and not to not disparage his WWE days at all because he was super entertaining in WWE but um, it, it's night and day this is as you said previously it's more about the athleticism um, he's more more high flying in WWE he's a little bit more he's put on a little bit more mass and muscle uh, he's not really doing as much of the high flying stuff or the the luchador stuff as I call it he's more he's more heavyweight wrestler without actually being a heavyweight by the way but he's more of a heavyweight style wrestler in WWE and he's all about the comedic aspect which he was absolutely brilliant at so yeah seeing him in this like it's it, it's new to me but I don't really recall ever enjoying Eddie Guerrero matches as much as what I am now. Yeah, do you think that once all this is said and done, do you think you'll continue watching Eddie Guerrero matches in the chronological order? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah? Yeah. I, th- I think I'd like to do that as well, to be honest. I mean, I think Eddie Guerrero's wrestling career would just be a fantastic movie in itself. Oh, yeah. I, I think you could do a proper biopic with him. I wonder who play Eddie Guerrero. Oof. I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head. We'll have a think about that. And when Nitro Gem Podcast number seven comes around, we'll bring that topic back up. <laughs> so if anybody's out there is listening and has any suggestions for who should play Eddie Guerrero in the Eddie Guerrero biopic covering 1995 to 2005, by all means, hit us up on all the usual social media channels. Bischoff uh, announces that Hogan wants to face Sting next week on Nitro as we come back onto Nitro. And after that revelation, we go to Mean Gene, who's in the ring with the giant Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan. Uh, Jimmy wonders what the hell he's going to do with his 200 Hogan jackets. To be fair, I really like Jimmy's jackets. It's just a shame that they're all Hulk Hogan jackets, but they're really, really cool. I don't know where he gets them done, but they're smart as hell. I actually wonder if the people that did his jackets... I wonder if they're still in business because there's a lot of very similar jackets being made and sold on WWE uh, shop right now. Really? Yes. Sullivan says that he apparently spent 10 years thinking of a way to destroy Hulk Hogan. I tell you what, that's some obsession. Yeah. A quick plug from him on World War 3 and the world title. Then he says that the giant is the favourite and that the title may as well just be handed to him. And Mean Gene actually agrees with him that the giant will be the favourite going into World War 3. Giant says he'll be the WCW champion forever while Sullivan fits on the floor whilst doing the hand-to-the-ear pose, which is so iconic when it comes to Hulk Hogan. A bit more silliness from from Sullivan again. And as I said on the last podcast, to think that he's the one booking these shows at this moment in time and then he's going out doing silly stuff like this. Just beggar's belief. Yeah, and again, when he starts talking, he sounds so incredibly bored. Even when he actually starts getting fired up, he just sounds bored doing it. Yeah. It's like why put why put yourself into this situation? Just uh, let Jimmy Hart do the talking. Even though every time Hart opens his mouth, I do start feeling like I'm getting a headache. 
just let Jimmy Hart cut the promos for you. You you just stay in the back. Let Jimmy Hart cut them. I mean, at the end of the day, at least Jimmy Hart, for as, as hyper as he is, <laughs> at least he's enjoying doing what he's doing. Yeah. <laughs> he's pretty uh, pretty helium-based as well, isn't he, Jimmy Hart, which can get kind of tedious. Yeah, very grating. Mm. But fuck it, I'll take it. I will take it over than listening to somebody talk. Like, imagine if we had a podcast like that. You know, we'd have no fucking listeners. Just talk like robots. <laughs> yeah, the Dungeon of Doom. They're going to get you, Hulk Hogan. It's like, just fucking hell. Cheer up, dude. Interestingly enough, Jimmy Hart used to be a singer in a band. I didn't know this until this week. Really? Yeah. What What band was that? The Bee Gees? <laughs> he'd be a fucking... He'd be a fit for that. I mean, come on. Ha! 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 I'm staying alive, baby! <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on, we'll let Brian get his, his balls back to a reasonable standing for a nail as well. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Just give me a second. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. That'll do it. That'll do it. Hey, I got a good impression. <laughs> on to the main event of WCW Nitro here, and we're going to have Johnny B. Bad's trainer, Dean Malenko, Facing off against Sting, it was at this moment that I realised that Sting's theme is a rip-off of a Kiss song called Heaven's on Fire, and now my entire life is a lie. Uh, there's a big height difference here, obviously, because Dean Malenko's short and, and Sting's like six foot three. I've, again, I've not written quite as much as we normally do for, for, the, for the real high spots of Nitro. There is a stunning Gorilla Press Slam on this as Malenko tries a leapfrog on Sting, and I thought that the transition into it was just so fucking smooth it just really really impressed me I, I really marked out for that yeah i did too i'm the same i don't really have much notes here but uh yeah what i what i do actually uh want to say about this is that they really cement um malenko's character in this um eric bischoff repeats that you know he, he is the man of a thousand holds but he makes it be known that it doesn't just mean that he can apply a thousand holds that he can actually get out of said 1,000 holds, and that is just a solid gimmick. Yeah, he flails around getting out of the Scorpion Deathlock as well. Like, normally people will power themselves out of a Scorpion Deathlock, but he's sort of, he's that agile yeah. that he just, like, flails around and manages to get to a rope. The storytelling here is that, that Malenko's going to concentrate on the left knee, so he's done his own work and he knows how to get Sting straight away. It's a sweet German suplex as well from Malenko. I don't see Sting taking German suplexes often, the only times I can really remember him taking them, are he, he faces Chris Benoit in something like '99, and he takes a few off him there. Sting has this—he has a, a weird way of taking German suplex. I always think that he's going to break his neck. I think that also has a lot to do with the people that he's going to take German suplexes from are going to be people that are short and stumpy, like the Chris Benoit's and the Dean Malenko's, and he's a mm. very tall guy. So you know, there's always a big risk, but. It, it does seem to know how to take them, which is a relief. Yeah, a bit after the German suplex for Malenko, there's a beautiful, beautiful missile drop kick. And today, I'm going to introduce a new segment on the Nitrogen podcast, which is the drop kick ometer. And basically, in this little segment, what we are going to do is we are going to ask Brian for his rating <laughs> on the aforementioned drop kick. So, Brian, what would you give this drop kick? Oh, well, now, uh, I'm in the hot seat now, lads, because it didn't actually prepare me for this at all. <laughs> I will say that was an incredible missile dropkick, and if we're going to put it into a scale, one being really low, the fact that you get actually no air on it at all, to a 10, where you look like you're going to fucking shoot it off into outer space, 
I'm going to give this an 8. Bosh. Have that, Dave Meltzer. Yeah, fuck your rating system. <laughs> that would have been a 10 in the Tokyo Dome, though. So... <laughs> God. The win comes for Sting, who manages to reverse a Texas Cloverleaf into a small package. We go back to the commentary booth. And they are summarising the World War Three world title deal as well as Sting and Hogan, which is coming next week on Nitro. As you can see, uh, they're, they're preluding a week in advance that Sting is going to face Hogan on Nitro rather than doing this whole, oh, who's going to face who in the main event? We don't know yet. You're going to have to stay and find out because that didn't work well in the ratings. They've quickly learned their lesson, as we've said before. They're, they're adapting to what's happening in the here and now and they're not sticking with a formula that might not work no Sting's still in the ring as we come back from a break and we go to Mean Gene for answers on why he walked out with Lex Luger last week after putting Ric Flair in the Scorpion Deathlock uh, multiple times he says he never thought Hogan would be the man to come knocking on his door and looking for him and that he could let it slide that Hogan called him a little dog he says that he's looking forward to facing Hogan next week on Nitro and Sting completely evades the questions from Mean Gene on anything to do with Lex Luger, which is secretly, frustratingly brilliant. Yes. Leaving people, you know, wanting a little bit more out of Sting and questioning where his loyalties lie. Which actually just encourages Gene to nitpick a little bit more. Uh, Gene says he's always believed that if it looks like a rat, smells like a rat, and quacks like a rat, it's a rat. I think, Mean Gene, he's not very good with his metaphors, is he? Because I think that's like the second or third one now that's confused me. <laughs> There's some genetically modified rats around these guys. Is it? Is that like the Simpsons fish that's got three eyes? <laughs> yeah, that's what he's been doing. He's been watching too much of the Simpsons, hasn't he? It's like, ooh, three-eyed fish. What about a rat? But hold on, guys. He quacks. <laughs> The Ochre Lines. Oh my god. Right. Bischoff and Cook continue to speculate on Sting's actions as we close out this episode of Nitro. Overall, what would you give this Nitro? What would your summary be? It was a decent show. I'd give it two and a half stars out of five. About midway there, it had a bit of a slow start. The last two matches, I've already said what I said about Johnny B. Bad versus Eddie Guerrero. Real great match. Um, the Malenko Sting match, we didn't really talk much about it, but it was a very good little match. I do want to see more from them too. It was uh, a solid main event, and yeah, it turned out to be a very good show in the end. Yeah, just to clarify, ladies and gentlemen, uh, when it comes to matches such as the Malenko versus Sting here, um, there's obviously not a lot of high spots. There's not a lot of you know frog splashes from the top rope. There's not a lot of head scissors and everything like that. So we're not going to go and recap where it's just like, Arm bar, wrist lock, headlock, sleeper hold. You know, because that's just going to get really tedious. We'll reserve that for the bigger spectacles in cruiserweights and, you know, them sorts of matches. I think, I think you, is that fair to say, Brian? Yeah, absolutely. I write very little about these matches. I just look at uh, the spots that were pretty much key, ones that really impressed me, and I'll put them down. And I'll just like add like a little bit of snippets of what the match was about, what the story is, and and things like that. I don't really add much more to it than that. We just kind of like shoot on the fly, as they say. But the cruiserweight matches, you cannot not talk about. It, it's really hard because you you have to get to a point where you really want to keep it as concise as possible, and you want to leave little bits out, but you just can't. It's impossible. Yeah. So we're not 
shitting on any of these matches. Well, <laughs> unless they are shit, and then we will shit on them. But generally, as we were talking about Malenko versus Sting there, it is a good match. It is kind of teetering on a heavyweight bout, even though it is Malenko. And that's the reason why we haven't gone move for move. So I'm going to give you the ratings for this one. It, this uh, this Nitro got a 2 versus Raw's 2.6. So a big, big win for Raw this week. And the results from Raw were Henry or Godwin versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Ended in a no contest. Uh, Ahmed Johnson defeated Jake Steele. King Mabel with Sir Moore defeated Roy Raymond. Uh, Sid with Ted DiBiase defeated Razor Ramon with the 1-2-3 kid who was the special guest referee. And in the dark match, Diesel and Marty Jannetty defeated Owen Hart and the British Bulldog. Wow, really? Owen Hart and British Bulldog team in that far back? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Neither did I. I, I thought that was like a very 1997 thing. Yeah, I don't I don't even know if, if you can see dark matches. Do, do they... Do they... Did they take them? Did they put them on network or? Uh, no, they don't. Oh, what a uh, shame! And I, I don't really know this because there is one match, and it actually does include Owen Hart. It's two of my favorite wrestlers of all time in a dark match on Raw. There's images out there and nothing more, and it's Kurt Angle versus Owen Hart. And this oh. is Kurt Angle before he actually makes his debut, by the way. But we know what he was like when he actually did debut on WWE TV. He was already really, really good. So. Yeah, I. it's a shame that match has no footage out there at all because I'd really, really would love to see that. Yeah, I had a conversation with the missus about a week ago about who is the most important person to come out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I don't know how we got onto this topic, but I, I said there's only one person that came out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and that is Kurt Angle. And yeah, she, I agree. She said, well, that's where Lizzie Hale's from, from Hailstorm. I was like, that means nothing to me. Kurt Angle wrestled and won a gold medal with a broken fucking neck. So, <laughs> yeah, when hey, Lizzie Hale you... wants to fucking win something with a broken fucking neck, you come back to me and fucking tell me that she's the best <laughs> thing coming out of fucking Pittsburgh. And yeah, it got heated, but, you know, what can you I, do? I was just about to say, if you're gonna if you're going to talk about Kurt Angle like that, do it right. It's a broken freaking neck. <laughs> you put a little bit too much salt and pepper on there, mate. Ah, well. Again, we're an explicit podcast. We're allowed to say these things. Yeah, broken fucking neck. <laughs> yeah, that's... There we go. There's a new t-shirt. <laughs> International number 12 here, uh, which goes down on November 20th, 1995 from Macon, Georgia. There's a good few dark matches to get through first. We've got Dave Sullivan defeating The Gambler. Ooh, The Gambler. Uh, the Noun. <laughs> Johnny Bad, who's the television champion, as, as talked about earlier, defeated Diamond Dallas Page to retain the WCW World Television Championship. And the American Males... American Males. American, American Males. Males. American, American Males. Males. All right, Jimmy Hart, calm down. Fuck's sake. <laughs> okay. They consist of Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Scotty Riggs defeated the Barrio Brothers, Fidel Sierra and Ricky Barrio. They're the Barrio Brothers, but only one guy is called Barrio. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Is this a mafia thing? <laughs> oh, I always love when they do shit like that. I really, I always love shit like that. It's so confusing, but it's so wrestling. It definitely is. Uh, I'm trying to think who Fidel Sierra is. I have this funny feeling that I saw him wrestle Jim Duggan. I'm going through all them old VHS tapes from WCW Worldwide, and I'm sure he wrestles Jim Duggan. He's from, uh, oh, fucking hell. Is he from Cuba or something like that? 
And he comes... Isn't that Fidel Castro? I think that's what they're playing on. I think that's kind of what they're playing on a little bit. Ah, with Fidel. right. Um, and yeah, uh, Hacksaw does the old wiping his nose with the flag stuff and, you know, putting it between his legs and wiping his ass with it. And oh, this is fucking great. Really good. Right, into, into this Nitro. Uh, not beating around the bush here. I, I don't know what they talked about at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> it was just basically hyping up Sting versus Hogan. That was it. Uh, Shark versus Scott Norton on this one. Uh, Norton comes out to Shark's music. That makes a fucking whole lot of sense, but there we go. <laughs> I miss that. Yeah, he fucking does. He does. Oh, God. Again, it's another heavyweight brawl, so we're not going to fucking nitpick it. The big points are really a belly-to-belly from Shark and the finish, which is a huge power slam without any help from Shark whatsoever. Uh, right over gets a three count for Scott Norton, who wins this one. And those two spots were the most impressive thing about the match. You know, they were really good good spots as well. Yeah, they, I mean, they're, they're both pretty big guys, aren't they? But uh, I think, I mean, I watched I watched it three or four times, that, that power slam that, that Scott Norton gives to Shark, and you can just see that Shark doesn't, he doesn't give any bounce to it. It's just all power from Scott Norton, and I'm really impressed with it. And obviously the commentators put it over like immensely yeah. as well. I looked at the crowd as well, and you could see a lot of people just sort of getting back to the seats and stuff. So it was very much the uh, the typical WWE Divas match where everybody sort of goes for the fucking beer or whatever you get at WWE events these days. Yeah, the popcorn match, but to open the show, it's like it's a bit of a weird one, that. Mm, yeah. We go to Mean Gene, uh, who's with Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster. Now, I'm gonna we're going to have some fun with this, Brian. Really? <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> I kind of zoned out of it a little bit, I'm not going to lie, because again, it's the same old stuff. Even Pamela Anderson coming on the TV with the Baywatch segment, even that didn't pique my interest. I, I just sort of zombied out when it came to this whole segment. But then I noticed something in the background, and I don't know if you got this, Brian, and if you didn't, I'm begging you to please go watch this back. When Jimmy Hart's talking, Kevin Sullivan's pulling faces... Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> Thank fuck for that. I've got it in my notes. What the fuck is he doing? <laughs> so, at first, so again... Who's he mocking? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when I said just a minute ago that I went back and watched Scott Norton's Power Slam three or four times, that's because the WWE Network application on the Xbox One fucking sucks. And it sends you back, like when you rewind, it sends you back so fucking far and starts fucking up. So I had to watch that three or four times. I enjoyed watching it three or four times just to watch this interview again. It's like a little kid. <laughs> yeah, it was like a little kid in the background of a, like a kid, uh, school photo, <laughs> photo uh, shoot, whatever you call it. Yeah, it looks like, you know, there's Jimmy Hart fucking posing at camera. He's in the back going, la, 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 like. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's there with his finger up his nose and just... Oh, God. <laughs> so, basically, I'm watching this, right, and, and Kevin Sullivan at first... <laughs> we, right, me, you know? sidebar, guys. Uh, this is a bit unusual for us. We've both had a bit to drink tonight, <sighs> so we are both a little extra giddy. So, apologies. I told you earlier on, I told you earlier on we were going to need alcohol to get yeah, through this. absolutely. <laughs> I think it's making it worse. Because so, I can see it in my head. I can see what he's doing and it's make me, making me laugh. Right. Okay. Compose yourself. Right. You're marvellous. Okay. Right. Cool. Uh, oh, God. So, at first, 
Jimmy's doing this promo and he's saying, you know, he's saying, you know, Sting, he's not your friend, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. And I'm watching Kevin Sullivan. And at first he's like, yeah, 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 he's getting his Sting's head. But then Kevin Sullivan's eyes go from the left all the way to the right like he's watching a mouse go along across the the floor really slowly. Hey, maybe it's that quacking rat from last week. It fucking could be, actually. This is a good... Fucking connecting the dots here. Um, and it's Mean Gene again. Fucking hell. So it's a new Dungeon of Doom member. He goes, he goes, quacking rap. <laughs> so he he goes, <laughs> he goes from the left, the, his left, to his right, slowly along the floor, does a little chuckle, and then his eyes are all in the back of his head, and then he chuckles some more, and it just it makes me hysterical thinking about it. Oh my fucking god. And Jimmy's just none the wiser. He just carries on going. Like The promo continues, and obviously when it comes back to Sullivan, he's completely stopped with his silly eye movements and all that shit, and he just plugs World War Three. And then Jimmy Hart goes over to Kevin Sullivan and whispers something in his ear. And at first, Kevin Sullivan's like chuckling again, but then he, is, he like becomes really serious, shoves Jimmy Hart off him, and then walks to the back as the promo's finishing. And I thought, this is... That's a little bit weird i wonder what he said to him jimmy hart just cracks out laughing anyway it just seems like they're pulling ribs on each other on the show yeah it does yeah give us more of that that was entertaining as fuck (laughs) just random eye movements and shit (laughs) anyway we go back to the action and uh disco inferno comes out and he's plugging a cd now here's a little insight ladies and gentlemen last time we recorded a podcast we were promised now if eric bischoff if you're listening to this we have a bone to pick with you, brother. We spent the better half of an hour and a half, right, looking for the Disco Inferno music video. And we couldn't find shit. We were promised a Disco Inferno music video. To be clear, this was supposed to be on Saturday night. And unfortunately, these episodes of Saturday night aren't on the network. So we had to go through the vast library of daily motion videos, uh, some which were dated for that episode but we're from like a month before as well with German commentary we, we had a really big task on our hands we could not find it and we were doing it for you folks we weren't doing it because we wanted to see it we wanted to review it for you guys no we really did want to see it let's be honest yes we did we did unfortunately we didn't find anything even remotely close to a Disco Inferno music video although we did find something that will come in a later edition of the Nitrogen podcast no spoilers Mr. Bischoff, we want to know where this music video is, brother. And if we don't get it, there'll be hell to pay. Oh, yeah. That sounded like a threat. Fucking hell. We're breaking kayfabe now, guys. <laughs> and if the Disco Inferno, if Glenn Gilbert is listening, um, we'd also like to know where your music video is. And if you don't give it to us, there'll be hell to pay. Just as a pre-warning, Mark, before you actually pay hell with Eric Bischoff, make sure you get a good tan, because otherwise he won't put you over, brother. Oh, damn. I can't tan. <laughs> well, that's me fucked. So the Disco Inferno comes out, and he's got a CD. I want one. I'm not going to lie, I want I want the CD. I want to know what's on it. I do have to wonder, though, what is on the CD? Because the only thing that we actually know from Disco Inferno is that he dances. It's like, was he mm. ahead of the curb and that was actually a DVD? Maybe. You know, maybe. It's just a, a compilation of him dancing. I'll tell you what, right? It, it is a treat for you guys. I'm going to do the Disco Inferno dance just for you guys at home, right? 
Hear anything? See anything? <laughs> what is on that CD, Mark? What is on that CD? I have no idea. I felt like such a fucking idiot then, by the way, because I actually did do the dance. I weren't just sat there hearing silence. I was, I was busting a fucking move, man. I thought you were going to make a sound like... <laughs> yeah, just like... <laughs> yeah, that just sounds like I'm wanking. <laughs> Fapping off. Don't do, ever do that again. <laughs> Disco fever. Disco fever. Yeah, 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 yeah. The fucking hell, Jimmy Hart's back. <laughs> it's the only singing voice I can do. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero soon makes his entrance to another fucking theme tune because apparently the WWE doesn't want to keep the fucking Guerrero theme as his theme. Um, oh, God, yeah. He comes out and he sort of goes for the Disco Inferno for interrupting his time, but obviously pulls himself back and Disco absolutely fucking shits himself. So this is good heel heat in a in a good way for uh, Disco Inferno. And as Eddie's mugging off to the camera as well, you just see Disco Inferno just throw his arm out like, you know, yeah fuck it <laughs> the background as well it's those little things I absolutely love it reminded me of Royal Rumble from this year where uh, Edge knocked out Randy Orton and Randy Orton just wide away just throws his hands out and just goes bah! <laughs> it, it was just a little bit that I saw that and I just imagined that voice that and I, I, oh my god it just, <laughs> I don't know it just added so much to me yeah, that internal monologue yes mm. uh, Ric Flair's music hits but he comes out in street clothes while Brian Pillman accompanies him with his wrestling clothes on. Uh, Flair gets on the mic and he says that he's fully concentrating on Sting, uh, World War Three. So Pillman will take on Eddie Guerrero in this bout. He doesn't call him Brian Pillman as well because in typical Rip Flair fashion, his, his promo is incoherent to fuck. He doesn't call him Brian Pillman, he goes, Ryan Pillman! Like, I can't do a good impression of Rip Flair, but <laughs> that is basically what it like. It, Oh, fucking hell, I've got a theory that Rick Flair is actually a Scooby-Doo. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, wait till 1997 rolls around, mate. Fucking hell. Uh, Flair sarcastically says that he's the nature boy. So why would he wrestle Eddie Guerrero? Flair alludes to Arn Anderson and Chris Benoit being in the back of a plane, I think. Something like that. Um, celebrating. Yeah, he said he's going to be in the jet waiting for him. Yeah. So we're going to go into the match. This is Eddie Guerrero versus Brian Pillman. Or... As Ric Flair may have said. So if you want to take this one, Brian, go for it. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm just so tempted to carry on my Scooby-Doo impression of the this. As disappointed as I was that we didn't get Ric Flair versus Eddie Guerrero because, oh my God, when I actually saw that, I'm like, now there's a dream match that I didn't know that I wanted. But I'm also thinking, like, uh, of the Eddie Guerrero from WWE, you know, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, that against Ric Flair, five-star contest, no matter where you are in the world. I'm going to actually look on the network later on tonight to see if there was a match between the two in WWE. I don't know if there ever was. It's a very quick start, you know, just standard for... Uh, Eddie Guerrero with a forward head sitter off the top rope, followed by a drop kick. Did you actually note this down at all, Mark? Can you actually really describe what that move was? Because the best way I can describe it is a forward head sitter. Brian Pillman is facing away from him. It is something else. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'd have gone with. I mean, it is it is a top rope head scissors, but it's done in a really unique way. Yeah, and it's followed up by a drop kick as well. Another sensational drop kick. Very, very quick stuff here. Hang on. I need a rating for the dropkick on me too. It was a seven. Seven. It was it was more fast paced than 
height. To me, it's kind of like... The, I'm sorry, because you're throwing this at me as well. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the hot seat. I'm thinking, like, the higher it is up on the scale, the higher it is in the drop kick. Uh, so I'm going to have to, like, really, really think hard about this. But, yeah, it was a seven. It, there wasn't really much height to it, but there was some speed to it. It was very, very snappy. Excellent. I've got Dave Meltzer. Yeah. Eddie goes up top, but Brian... I'm just calling him Brian. Brian reverses with a drop kick again. Just never tire of seeing that. It's such a good reversal. It, it, the only time we ever see Brian Pillman do a drop kick is when he's doing a reversal off the top rope. It's insane. Brian with very heel manoeuvres. He's biting at his head. And then he, he looks at the camera and he says to Ric Flair, I love you, man. Which is really, really bizarre considering what we were talking about on the last episode. It just seems like they've gone from hating each other to now apparently loving each other so it is a long term plan but they've just dragged Sting in it just to fucking troll him for whatever fucking reason makes no sense but you know what fuck it again like I said Brian Pillman and the Four Horsemen you, you, you just cannot look at the finer details and be disappointed Eddie comes back with chops and an Irish whip but Brian gets a back body drop for a two count there's a lovely suplex from Pillman for another two count shortly after. There's chop exchanges and then an Irish whip into a power slam from Pillman for another two count. Lots of trash talking from Pillman and then he spits in Eddie's face which Eddie just switches on. You know, he's full of piss and vinegar and they end up into a little bit of a brawl. There's a suplex attempt to the outside by Eddie Guerrero but it is reversed. Brian goes up top to do a flying crossbody as Eddie Guerrero is on the railing. But Eddie moves out the way and Brian just crashes into the railing so fucking hard. It looked really nasty. There's, there's this, it seems to be a bit of a trend with Brian Pillman. It's like, if he's going to crash into something, he's going to give his body to it. You know, it's not the safest thing to do. But, oh, it, you know, by God, is it effective. There's an absolute gorgeous flying crossbow here. Uh, off the top rope by Eddie again. It just seems to be standard fare with him now. But I'll never get tired of seeing that. At this point, Heenan just starts calling him Clark Kent for some fucking reason. Uh, I don't know why, that just made me chuckle. There's a nasty brain buster by Eddie Guerrero, and he goes up top, but Brian knocks him onto the ropes. There's a superplex attempt, but Eddie forces him off. Frog splash, and Eddie gets the win again. It just seems to be, you put Eddie Guerrero in a match with anybody, and it, it's going to be a spectacular match. This isn't a really long match, but it is really fucking good, really good, again. I mean, what more can we say about these cruiserweight matches, Mark? It's just knocking them out of the park week to week. No, I'm loving them. I'm absolutely loving them. You've done a bang-on job there explaining. I just want more from these two. And I think they are building to Eddie Guerrero versus Ric Flair. If that actually does happen, oh, God. I, I, I just hope it's on Nitro. I hope they have at least one match on Nitro because that is... It, it, it can't be anything but good. Uh, I'm, I'm scouring the depths of my brain and I'm pretty sure that they do face off on Nitro at some point. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm holding you to that. I, I know for a fact they do square off at a pay-per-view in 1996. But I can't wait that one, Mark. I want to see it on Nitro soon. That uh. was an excellent Jimmy Hart promo. Fuck's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it'll be soon. Um, I mean, <laughs> given given that Ric Flair um, has a little bit of legal trouble with WCW going going down the line, I wouldn't have thought that Eddie versus Ric Flair would be too far off. 
because this kind of this kind of program leads into that as well, doesn't it? So uh, fingers crossed it happens soon. Yeah, but I also got to say something as well. There's some very uncharacteristic commentary from Heenan here because obviously he is a heel commentator and he always roots for the heels unless Hulk Hogan's in the ring, as we see later on, uh, where he's it's basically accusing Sting of being with a dungeon. But not actually so much where he's actually being supportive of Sting. He's just being supportive of Sting in the match. Here, he actually does outright say that Guerrero could become the world heavyweight champion at some point. And that is just high praise from someone that's, you know, not really mm. meant to praise these kind of performers. But fucking hell, that is uh, big praise from Heenan there. Really big praise. Massive. I get the imagination yeah. that Heenan is such a pro. He just knows when to do business. It's like he sees someone that is that talented, regardless if they're a heel or a face, he will give them a compliment of some sort. But that is a really big compliment. Yeah, I think the entire uh, commentary team, every week, every time Eddie comes out, they, they, they do put him over quite significantly, don't they? It, it does come across like he is a plan. Yeah, he deserves extent. it as well. Oh, absolutely. I think... Over the course of the last maybe four or five or maybe even six Nitros, he's he's consistently been wrestling. Yeah. So he's had a match a week, every week on Nitro. He's probably one of the most consistent feature performers. Mm, probably is, yeah. He's definitely up there with the likes of Sting. Yeah. There's um there's a little bit in this match that you you might have just slightly overlooked, which is right at the beginning where it, Pillman uses his coat as a mulatto, which basically goads oh, Eddie yeah. like a bull. I thought that was... Just because of the Mexican element to it, it's borderline racist, really. But Yeah, I did actually put that down. I just completely overlooked it. Uh, it was a little bit tasteless, but again... Good heel heat, though. Really good heel heat. But, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, we, we also got to take into account that, you know, I don't think Pillman just did that for a shoot, you know, there and then. It probably would have been discussed at some yeah. point with Eddie Guerrero. But then again... We, we don't really know what kind of personal relationship they have. It's just an assumption. But, you know, this is the kind of thing that you have to take into consideration when you think about these things. They may seem tasteless on the face of it. And, yes, some things you'd rather not see. But, you know, hopefully Eddie did give it the green light. Yeah, I think he probably did. And I would say that from this podcast episode, this is the best match that you're going to see that we're reviewing in this episode yeah for sure after this match we're going to go and see highlights from uh, the macho man last week putting over the fact that macho's arm is significantly injured thanks to the dungeon of doom and lex luger and then we're going to go into a match with big bubba rogers and hawk this is a decent heavyweight contest it's nothing special really again it's just your typical heavyweight contest but a bit of storytelling it that, that obviously needs to be discussed bubba's got a roll of coins which actually falls out of his pocket is very that early what it in the match was? Yeah, it's a roll of quarters. Because, you know, we just see him in the corner and then Hart picks him up by his legs to do the like uh, the powerbomb in the corner type manoeuvre. And I just yeah. see something that has got like a goldy brown colour to it and it's like a rectangle drop on the floor and it's got slight ridges on the top of it. And I swear to fucking God, I thought it was a Greg Sausage roll. <laughs> and then it, it just made it even more... F- I, I, I was looking at it and I'm like, that's a Greg Sausage roll, isn't it? And I might have just been a little bit hungry at the time, but I was just, I was tittering to myself. And then I just completely lost it and I had to pause because Big Bubba Rogers just looks at it and he's like, oh shit, picks it up and puts it in his pocket. Like, oh, I'll have that for later. (laughs) 
Yeah, we'll do some damage to them, Greg. Sausage rolls. <laughs> if you eat too God. many of them, yes. But fucking hell. To our international friends, you can't beat a Greg sausage roll. DI boss. Um, oh, it sounds like uh, Mike has a hot take here. They're not my go-to. I mean, I'd have one if somebody bought me one, but I wouldn't go actively looking for one, to be perfectly honest. But that's just me. Fucking hell, I'm getting hungry again. I know, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's it's a roll of quarters, basically, and the the fact that it falls out of his pockets is, is like amusing in itself. It's a good job that he noticed, really, because if he hadn't noticed and they'd have rolled off the side of the ring, he'd have been like, what the fuck are we going to do for a finish? Just taping up his hands in the middle of the ring with nothing in there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the finish is that Bubba tapes his, uh, tapes his fist up with him, and as he's bouncing off the ropes, Jim Duggan, of all people, comes down to trip him up uh, to stop him from cheating. He falls headfirst onto the roll of coins, and Hawk rolls him up for the three count. So it's another win for Hawk. Um, decent contest, not, not too bad, but not not much to talk about other than... It's just a shame that uh, he didn't actually get to use the roll of quarters. Uh, there's something that they actually do on the WWE Network, particularly with older matches, because uh, we don't really see many of these these days. But anytime there's a ring bell shot, they actually dub in a ding. <laughs> and it's impressive. Now, all I just wanted is a cash register sound. Every time someone hits somebody with Royal Quarters, you know, as soon as it hits, it just goes, ching-ching, it's just something like that. <laughs> I was seriously hoping. What if somebody hit somebody with a dildo? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> we're, we're going oh. to just, we're, <laughs> so what are you going to get <laughs> that sounded like the Wilhelm scream <laughs> my, uh, someone hit somebody with a dildo <laughs> that's what it sounded like to me oh god we've gone off the rails we have uh, it's been fun this one Got into the main event on this Nitro, and it's obviously Sting versus Hulk Hogan. They've been promoting it since last week. Sting's the first one out. He's wearing red and yellow, and his entrance is fucking hilarious. <laughs> his firework goes off, and his tassels almost catch fire, and he absolutely bricks himself. He slowly walks down the aisle and says, Wow, that was a close one! <laughs> the funny thing is... There does actually seem to be a bit of a mistiming with the pyro here as well, because when Savage comes out, he's obviously... Uh, sorry, there's a spoiler alert. Uh, Hogan's meant to come out, but Savage is the one that actually comes out and he's gesturing to him to come out after uh, after him. And as Savage runs out, you get just uh, a burst of sparklers and he just fucking stops really fucking quickly as well. <laughs> he nearly fucking runs into him. I just, want, I just want Randy Savage just to do the exact same thing. As fucking Sting, yeah. uh... whoa, whoa, brother, that was a close one. As noted by Brian there, yeah, uh, Macho comes out and yeah. uh, he's got his arms slinged up, putting over the injury, and he's calling for Hogan to come out, but he's taking too long, which obviously means that Hogan's going to come through the crowd. Hogan, again, is wearing his all-black attire because he's going through his emo phase. <laughs> <laughs> It's fucking emo thing. Uh, and he, uh, he gets into the ring and he, he he hypes up to the crowd a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right, you say emo phase, and I've just got this imagination of Hulk Hogan singing uh, "I Write Sins, Not Tragedies" by Panic at the Disco. <laughs> Brother, have you heard? Closing the goddamn door, Jack. <laughs> oh God. He's hyping up to the crowd to sort of ask him whether or not he should cheap shot Sting. And Sting's saying, come on, Hulk. And then he starts shouting after Macho. 
but Hogan gives him a tap on the back and Sting turns around and he's startled to see that Hogan's already there. The Phantom of the Opera Mask comes off and that's it. Hogan's down's a business. We square up and Hogan shoves Sting first, which is, I think, a pivotal point in this story, which results in Sting absolutely fucking going health, healthy leather with right hands. Uh, Heenan's excitably egging Sting on with these right hands. Hogan gets some serious booze here after getting the upper hand, which tells us everything that we need to know about the WCW fan base and their feelings on Hogan at this moment in time. Uh, to the outside, Hogan is using some heelish tactics to wear Sting down, and while Sting is down, Hogan and Macho both say that they want to know whose side Sting is on. This is obviously back in the ring. Uh, this all feeds into the foreshadowing of what would ultimately become Sting's next and most famous gimmick, the Crow gimmick, which we keep talking about on the podcast. And It's coming. It is, it is coming, but this is all building towards uh, that long-term storyline, as you were talking about last time, Brian. Yeah, it is absolutely sensational. Really, because mm. I only felt I only thought that it went as far back as the NWO starting, and Sting is just so he just feels so betrayed at that point that he just disappears for a while. Like oh, for fuck's sake, I can't deal with this shit. You know, I'm taking a break type thing. Mm. But no, you're actually seeing a very long build up. It's not 18 months of build. It's so much longer. Yeah, yeah. There is good two years before he actually does surface as the crow, from what I can gather. I think he do, he starts uh, appearing in the rafters before he actually makes his proper debut, doesn't he? Obviously, the names that we've got in the bag of disloyalty right now, he's, he's had his little one-twos with the macho man, he's had his disagreements with Lex, he's having his disagreements with Organeer, he's, had his, he's been turned on by the four horsemen, including Ric Flair. So we've got four massive names there, right there, you know, who are all turning their back on Sting. I've never really looked at it until we started doing this. I never really looked at the progression of Sting's turn, if you like, even though he doesn't really turn. The progression of Sting's character development being so far in the past as to when it actually happens. So it's really good to go back and watch all this again with you, Brian. And it has layers as well because it all starts with Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage turning to what they call the dark side. And that's essentially what happens to Sting when he goes away. He turns to the dark side. He obviously doesn't mm. really say as much, but that's pretty much what we're getting. It's the same aesthetic. He's coming back in black and white. He's a more worry character. He's, he's borderline paranoid of other people. Uh, he's very untrusting. Again, yeah, it's such good storytelling. It is by far the best part of Nitro barring the Cruiserweight matches. Yeah, completely agree. The match finishes as a no contest after Hogan hulks up. Big boots Sting, but Sting rolls out of the leg drop before he manages to connect. Sting gets Hogan in the Scorpion Deathlock, but here come the Dungeon of Doom. It's noted that Hugh Morris has now joined the Dungeon of Doom. I'm not entirely sure when that happened, but I saw him out at ringside. Uh, Savage, Sting and Hogan fight off the Dungeon of Doom while the Giant comes down and Macho hits Giant with a chair when he has Sting and Hogan throttled. But the chair does absolutely nothing to the giant whilst Macho completely fucks his arm up even more. Giant choke slams Macho with his bad arm and all. Hogan and Sting then double team with a chair to send Giant out of the ring to end the show. This actually got a huge pop as well, which bodes well for Hogan as he gets a bit of a rub from Sting as well. Yeah, considering that when he came out, he was booed to fuck. Yeah, this is it's really bizarre to see this isn't it like we're talking about the, the the biggest name in the industry hulk hogan and he has to get a rub off sting 
because yeah. the fans are fucking sick to the back teeth of him. Even yes. in his new get-up, you know, it, it, it's so fucking bizarre. But it, it seems to work to end this Nitro. I, I say end this Nitro. We do come back from a break just to close off Nitro because it overran this one. Uh, the Taskmaster and Jimmy Hart are at the commentary booth and the Taskmaster has absolutely annihilated Bobby Heenan's headset, which seems to be like a, a bi-weekly thing now on Nitro. <laughs> yeah, poor Heenan. <laughs> Bischoff tells Sullivan and Jimmy Hart that they need to get out of there whilst Heenan's the one saying, them guys like me, so imagine what they're going to do at World War 3. I, lo- I love that Heenan is still yes. plugging the pay-per-view, even though he's just been fucking shaken and fucking his own messed up and everything like that by these guys. So good. What? What a fucking pro. Mm. Uh, Michael tells Jimmy to get that megaphone out of his face. That's one fight I would have loved to have seen close off Nitro on Michael versus Jimmy Hart. Oh, Jesus Christ. We plug World War 3 once more as we close off the show. Not a bad show in my opinion there. Brian, what would you say? Yeah, it was a two-star show. It wasn't like absolutely brilliant by any means. There were a couple of good matches, but there was very, very good story development. And it, that that is up to and including the Dungeon of Doom themselves. Because here, they actually look like the vulnerable now. Which, up until now, we've not really seen. So that that's something as well. It furries along uh, Hulk Hogan's progression a little bit and Savage's progression as well. Uh, especially Sting. It also makes them look like a threat finally. And that's, that's kind of what we need. Uh, I'm hoping this is... The start of the inevitable breakdown of the Dungeon of Doom and they finally fuck off forever, but I'm... I don't know. I think it's going to drag on quite a while longer yet. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, illusion towards can Hogan trust Macho as well as we're going along with this. Obviously, Hogan and Macho weren't seen eye-to-eye earlier on in previous Nitros, uh, obviously, and in pay-per-views and everything like that, but now they seem to be the best of buds, and I kind of get that feeling that, you know, Macho's not all East you know, saying that he is to Hulk Hogan. Or vice versa, you know, Hulk Hogan just might be, I'm the loner and I don't need anybody. So I kind of feel like it's going to go one way or the other. I, I do get that feeling. Uh, Eric Bischoff has really cemented that idea. There's no smoke without fire, as I say. If you're going to tease it that much, it kind of it needs a payoff. Yeah, it does. Uh, into the ratings for this one, Nitro got a 2.5 versus Rolls 2.3. Now... To some serious news. Something else you've not been forewarned about. Oh dear. I, Marvellous Mark Ashworth, co-host of the Nitrogen podcast with Das Acton Kid, Brian Bradshaw, must sincerely apologise to the listeners of the podcast. In one of our previous episodes, I did make a mistake and I am currently going to set the record straight. We previously discussed something as it pertained to Mean Gene Oakland's WCW hotline and Mean Gene alluding to the fact that a wrestler had been beaten up in a parking lot by fans. Now, I said that I'd done some research on this and I managed to find absolutely nothing on it. It turns out this did happen. However, I was searching the wrong fucking thing. Shawn Michaels was beaten up. In a parking lot, I think they were bikers or something like that. He got into a barroom scuffle and he'd ended up getting whacked uh, and he was suffering from post-concussion syndrome back in October. That is obviously what the hotline was alluding to. I sincerely apologise to you as well, Brian, because obviously I fucked up. 
But the reason why I'm saying this is because I'm going to give you the raw results. This is going down on November 20th, 1995. And in the dark matches, you're going to see Goldust defeat Aldo Montoya. You're going to see Sid and the 123 Kid, who came out with Ted DiBiase, defeating whoever they faced. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no details. We don't know who they faced. They just know that they wrestled. Yeah, them two guys. The British Bulldog defeated Diesel by disqualification. Bret Hart, who's the WWF champion, uh, defeated The Undertaker by disqualification. And then into the actual televised event, the 1-2-3 kid defeated Hakushi. Skip and Savio Vega fought to a no contest. And Owen Hart and Shawn Michaels fought to a no contest when Shawn Michaels collapsed in the ring. So I was going to ask you about this. I know this is the Nitrogen podcast and I know we're talking WCW and everything like that. But the, the story behind Shawn Michaels collapsing in the ring is that maybe three or four people know this is a kayfabe. He, he, he's not actually like dying. No. But there's three or four people that actually know about this, including obviously Vince McMahon, Jerry Lawler, Owen Hart. Shawn obviously knows as well, and I would presume the referee. So four other people and Shawn Michaels know that at the end of this WWF Raw broadcast, we're going to see Shawn Michaels just... Um, lay comatose in the ring there's a lot to discuss really but after obviously doing a little bit more research on this and people saying you know they wouldn't get away with it these days simply because of x y and z yeah my personal opinion is that you wouldn't get away with it simply because concussions need to be taken seriously in wrestling yeah but other people were saying they wouldn't get away with it because of the internet because everybody would know that they were going to do this and that it get leaked out or whatever but i wanted to ask what your opinions were looking back on this with hindsight yeah, like, I had no clue about this. There's not really much more that can be said about it, because um, we're always talking about it in 2020 here. Hindsight is also 2020. There has been a lot that's happened since 1995 that has shed so much light on concussions. We wouldn't have known <laughs> back in, 1995, in 1995 the extent of damage that concussions could do in that timeline i can see why they did that it would have been shocking absolutely shocking would they get away with it now definitely not because it's got fuck all to do with the internet it's got more so to do with the fact that people and i'm not just naming chris benoit here there's been football players that's nfl players that have well, to be fair, I mean, you're saying just NFL players, but they're also giving guidance in schools now of, of actual, so Americans call it soccer, but we call it football, uh, heading the ball with this as well. And uh, you, you're on about CTE. Yes, that's what I was thinking of, yes. With, with, with CTE CT and what we know about it now, like, you know, it, it's not just Chris Benoit that had it. There's been other wrestlers suspected to have had it. I mean, I know that WWE tend to gloss over um, people like Corey Graves retiring because of uh, what what they actually call repeated concussion symptoms, which is basically saying that, yeah, there's a high chance he's got CTE. I don't know Corey Graves well enough to actually say that is a fact. That's just from my outside perspective with how we're going to handle things. They don't really want to go out and say, yeah, this person has got CTE, because if they did, then there's going to be a massive backlash. They're going to get blamed for it. And rightly so, in in many ways. I know that they're doing everything they can to prevent it, but they're, they're still learning. They're still learning like the, the rest of the world are learning about 
the risks of things like that. And, and they could just be not willing to take the risk. They could just be recurring symptoms, but it, it does come across as like there is that chance. So they, they really couldn't do this today, not because of the internet. It's because that one of their wrestlers had it. He ended up killing his child and his wife and then himself. And the company, the WWE, nearly got closed down by the federal government because of it. So that's why. It's got nothing to do with the internet. It's got nothing to do with political correctness. It's just, it's poor taste. It alludes to something tragic that's happened. It also alludes to the possibilities of what could happen from that. And WWE would rightfully not want to be tired with that. Yeah, I mean... I, I think I agree with you in terms of 1995. Not many people knew what was going on in terms of concussions and everything like that. Although, you know, wrestling's been around for a while and, and people have been taking, you know, some some pretty serious bumps over the years. Um, you'd think that there would be some sort of risk assessment taken. Um, this does look like a way to get Shawn Michaels off screen for a little bit because yeah. he actually was suffering from post-concussion syndrome. So this made sense in terms of they probably taped, you know, the week after or whatever. Um, and as you said, it's it's quite shocking. So you never know what's going to work in TV terms. You know, this this kind of shock might get people to start watching the product again. Mm. But yeah, as you said, it's not going to it's not going to wash in today's society simply because of what we know now. It, it's happened a couple couple of times since then, like. Uh, not not that specifically, but there's been time uh, in recent times, both times involved involving Cody Rhodes. There was the the well known one that happened on Dynamite, with Dynamite or a pay per view. I think it were a pay per view where uh, Sean Spears uh, used a steel chair and uh, hit him right on the head with it. You know, prop a proper old school chair shot, and yeah. you, pe- people were. Yeah. They were offended by it. I was offended by it because, again, we know what what the risks are, and we want these people to be safe. You know, we we don't want them to be hurt. We don't want them to, you know, go down that deep dark road that always have. Uh, not just Benoit, but the NFL players and other people that, you know, that might not have been highly profile people that have probably ended up with these these problems. We don't want that. We don't want to see that. There's that. There was one with NXT's Dominic Dijakovic. Uh, this was on a Ring of Honor. I think it was a Ring of Honor house show because it seemed to be uh, mobile phone footage rather than actual footage that got shared around. I could be wrong, but I think it was. I can't. I can't remember who was sat on a chair and who t- uh, who did the chair shot. I think it was Dijakovic sat on the chair and Cody Rose doing the chair shot. I might be completely wrong. I won't say that I am 100% right about that. It was one or the other. It was definitely those two people. And the chair shot, the chair actually broke. Wow. And yeah, a lot of that is great effect. A lot of people are saying that the chair was rigged. Uh, so the actual on impact, the slightest of impact, the chair would break. But I don't believe that because with full force that he actually did it, the force that he did it with, the ch- if it was rigged, in that, in such a way to prevent that, the seat would have come flying out. It didn't, so I don't believe that. I think it was, it might have been loosened a little bit, but there would have had to have been still some force on impact for that to happen. 
Uh, and again, that got bad press. So yeah, um, yeah, not. I I don't really believe that a lot of wrestling fans, as much as they cry for this old old school uh, booking style to come back and things like that, you know, I don't think they really want people to do anything that's concussion related, anything that can risk a concussion. Risk a concussion. There's enough risks from the actual wrestling itself. We're going to wrap it up there. Uh, as always, you can find us on the most delightful of social media networks. Obviously, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Reddit, and you can just at NitrogenCast for that. You can always give us a like on Facebook as well. You're going to find us on Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Red Circle do all that for us, so thank you very much to them guys for doing that. Me and Brian are constantly in dialogue about new things that we can do and new episodes that we might do. And if you guys have any feedback whatsoever on what you'd like us to discuss or anything you'd like to talk about, any improvements that we could make, we'd absolutely love to hear from you. From me, Marvellous Mark Ashworth, and obviously Das Acton Kid, right over there. Yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch you very soon on the Natural Gem Podcast. That, that was fucking giddy. <laughs>